You are now listening to Bigfoot and Beyond, featuring the OG bad boys of Bigfoot, the Dr. Heckle and Mr. Jive of Squatchology, the Chip and Dale of Bigfoot, and I'm not talking about the cartoon. Please welcome your hosts, the Bigfoot celebrity couple, Biff Clobo, better known as Cliff Berrickman and James Bobo Fay. Cliff. Bobo, how are you doing, man? Good. How's it going with you? It's going all right. It's going all right. It was an up and down sort of week, though. I got to tell you that, man. Oh, you guys got a little blizzard, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it, it was a blizzard, I guess. You know, it was pretty bad there. I know it, at my house, you know, I live in that valley that goes east to west that leads up to Mount Hood, right? Um, there, were, there was a half hour period, 45 minute period where, I, you know, I turned the light on outside um, and I'm watching the snow come down, you know, cause I'm from Southern California. Snow's kind of a novelty to me. Um, and the snow never went vertically. It was horizontal the whole time. And we had 40 to 50 mile per hour winds, like sustained winds for a while. It was nuts. Yeah. We got, we got uh, blasted by, I'm on the coast. So it was just rain, but no, it snowed like at 500 feet or something. I mean, we could, it was right out, just right outside of town was covered snow, but yeah, we got a lot of wind and rain. Oh man, it was brutal. There was about a foot or maybe you know, about a foot or something like that everywhere. And of course the drifts were like two feet and we, I was stuck in my house for days, um, until my neighbor got his uh, tractor and the, the, and his wife, um, womaned the bat, the, uh, the excavator and they, uh, went down the entire road and kind of dug us out on Sunday. Cause he had to get to work on Monday. There was no hope of opening the museum. Um, it was shut down. Connor couldn't get his car out in Gresham. You know, I live at elevation. You know, I live a little under a thousand feet, but Connor lives, you know, what at that 200 and he couldn't even get his car out. And he walked down to the main road where he lives and he has photographs of people digging their Jeeps out on the main roads. Yeah. And of course my neighbor's from Minnesota. Uh, I don't know if you knew that about my neighbor there, but he's from Minnesota. So when he was on the tractor and I was out and he offered to, you know, scrape off my driveway for me so I can get out. Um, I was talking to him and they go, so does this remind you of home? And he goes, no way, this snow is way worse. You know, the snow here is heavy and thick and wet. And like in Minnesota, you drive through a foot of snow. It's no big deal. But here you, you can't, you just can't. And that made me feel a little better because remember you were making fun of me about, um, <laughs> about all of that. But if my, um, my hardy pioneer stock neighbor, you know, said that this sucks, then I have to agree with them. Or at least I, some, I feel somewhat vindicated that I'm right. It does indeed suck. Yeah, because if you're going to try to measure yourself as a man against your neighbor, good luck. Cliff's neighbor is all man. He's not watching Puppy Bowl. Well, I, I, I like him anyway, though, to be fair. I, I know we have that Puppy Bowl disagreement, but he's still a good guy. But, he, I mean, this guy's. I'm saying he's a man's man. He killed a mountain lion with his bare hands. Pretty much. He pretty much did, yeah. That's a great story. And, um, yeah, yeah, he, he, yeah, he's an amazing neighbor and a good friend. I'm very pleased to have him on the road. He's, he can be the fill-in for Bobo's story time. We'll have uh, Cliff's neighbor story time, and he can tell the mountain lion story. I probably should get a recording of that. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah, our guest Bobo today, Cliff's neighbor. But, you know, even when I could get out to the shop, yeah, and the roads are icy and stuff, and I can deal with that. I got four-wheel drive. When I could get out to the shop, there was no electricity. Everything was out. I don't know if you've heard about the – I know everybody's talking about the power outages in Texas, and everybody who's listening in Texas, we are with you, by the way. That totally sucks. Um, but yeah, in, there was a hundred and what did they say? I think it was 110,000 people in the Portrin Metro area without power. Um, and that was after they put another 80,000 back online. It was insane here. And so the museum was out of power for a couple of days and until, um, oh, until Tuesday and we were closed Tuesday, you know, that's our weekend. And when Connor finally made it here on Tuesday, oh, the power is here. We didn't have internet. So anybody who ordered something over the weekend, we couldn't fulfill the order until we, uh, anyway, long gripey story, you know, terrible, no good week, et cetera, and all that sort of stuff. But I'm glad that's over. Things are up and running. Um, we, we're out of work for, you know, a week, which doesn't do a small business very, very good, but, um, whatever, we're back up and running, trying to make, make ends meet. So, yeah, I just thought of this. I looked it up on my phone. I got a text from uh, Becky, the old retired fire lookout up in Willow Creek. We met her up there. She's uh, she sent me a text saying, "I'm watching the episode where the gymnastics are happening up in a tree." In the 1980s, an old man said he watched a huge Bigfoot, 12 foot plus feet, jumped upwards, hands first, up onto big bow, grabbed this big branch, 20 plus feet up, and it swung its feet up and shot feet first up into the firs. 
The last thing he saw was the top and back of its head as it disappeared into the thick fur. This was at the bottom of Brush Mountain to the east. One of my first reluctant stories told me about the lookout. After that, I always looked up. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a lesson for all Bigfooters. You know, everybody's scanning the floor and stuff. Oh, maybe they're crouching down. Look up. Look up, man. These things are apes, you know, just like we are. That We have shoulders for brachiation. So do they. They are built to be in the trees, just like we are to some degree. Um, we need to be looking up a lot more. Yeah, and just that, that's a pretty amazing. But I've heard stories like that around that area, Klamath, you know, down downriver from there more but about them jumping because the redwoods, you know, the first branches are so high up. People say they've seen them like jump up and grab a redwood way up and then launch themselves further up. Like they can get up 30 feet in like like uh, two moves, you know, <clears throat> jump from the ground, land up on the trunk and then propel themselves further up the trunk and grab back on their 30 feet up. Wow. Yeah. I mean, when, when we start getting, uh, you know, after academic acceptance of the species and we start getting cool video footage of these things uh, in the wild or maybe um, in long term witness situations, I think we're all going to be pretty blown away about what uh, what we've been going against all these years. And uh, we'll all realize why it took so long for, quote unquote, discovery to actually happen. Yeah, I think looking down and looking up are a little. Uh, well, people look down for tracks. They don't look down for crawling Bigfoot. Yeah, that's true, too. That's true, too. I think if they did, more handprints would be in the data set. Well, speaking of looking down, I know we got a guy coming Oh, speaking the about speaking up, looking up. Oh, yeah. He's got looking up stories and looking down stories. Yeah, he does. Yeah. And for us, things are looking up because of our guest today. Yep. We got today the legendary, one of the original bad boys of Bigfoot. And that was our crew we had back, uh, started up about 15 years ago. Me, you, Yams, uh, Gimlin, and Bob Strain. The OG bad boy. Oh, yeah. Bob Strain. Welcome to the show, man. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Good to be here with you guys. Man, you're the only person I know that actually speaks in infrasonic frequencies. Well, I think that way, too. So <laughs> He's the Barry White of Bigfoot. <laughs> He's also the husband of our recent guest, Kathy Strain. Yep, that's right. That's right. Um, we met... Actually, uh, Bobo and Kathy at the 2003 Bigfoot International Bigfoot Symposium in Willow Creek. Yeah, that was a that was a pretty epic event. Yeah, it was. It was a well, it was a first for me. I was just uh, somebody who was uh, trying to get some answers to some things that had experiences I had in my life, and uh, went there with a few other guys and. Um, you know, just became a member of the audience and tried to absorb a sponge as much as I could. And I was ended up having a, a great time and meeting a, a lot of people that uh, still friends with today, of course. Oh, yeah. And of course, uh, that, that one event was a, a turning point, I imagine. I mean, looking back at your life in the last, you know, 18 years, how, how, how much of your life has changed due to that event? I mean, it's 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 flabbergasting. Oh, absolutely. It is. And, uh, you know, of course, interest in the, in, in this animal is what, uh, brought us all together and kindred spirits, I think, uh, is, uh, something that I, 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 I needed, I didn't know I needed it and it definitely uh, changed my life. But I, I, I was glad to have the opportunity, like I say, to, to meet everybody that I have and, have had the experiences since then, but also to get a lot of answers to to things that had happened to me in the past that I really needed answers to, and and um, you know, so, so yeah, my life has has uh, turned around hundred now. I would never have guessed I'd be where I was today twenty years ago. Yeah, the universe has a tendency to give us exactly what we need. It may not be what we want, but we, if we need it, we're going to get it. <laughs> oh, oh, absolutely. No, it, it is what I needed. And I think people start to get into this uh, uh, community or interest. And, and I tell them, you know, be careful what you wish for, because it just might come true. <laughs> hey, Mark, can you just a little, little, I mean, we, we know you're, you and Kathy have been in the Sierra Nevadas now for a couple of decades. I mean, she's born and raised up in that area. But you originally came from Texas. Can you give us some uh, background? Because you remember now the Wood Ape Conservancy with some of the other guests we had, like Pruitt and your wife, and that's kind of like the 
A team, you know, a big footing right now, as far as I'm concerned. You guys need the Olympic project. And so, I mean, that, that speaks, I mean, to be on that crew, you got to have some credentials. So, you know, like hunting and outdoor experience, can you give us some of that in your background? Sure. I'll give you a little quick bio. Um, I am from West Texas, born and raised in West Texas and uh, moved to Dallas uh, when I was in high school. I went to uh, high school and college um, in, in Dallas before I moved out to California in the late 70s. But my dad had lived out in California and, uh, it, and we were, he was a big hunter and I was a big hunter. We always hunted. Uh, together and I had friends, you know, Texas is a big hunting state is part of the culture. And uh, we had a, the year I graduated high school in 75, we went up to um, Idaho for a week long hunting trip. And, and uh, I flew out from Dallas and he picked me up in Reno, um, w- went on into Idaho, which is where uh, I was when I had my original sighting that I did. Um, one afternoon, watch one walk across the hills, mountainside for several minutes and uh, had a really unobstructed view of it and uh, using, you know, binoculars and, you know, my rifle scope. And uh, and I, I couldn't figure out what it was. And then I saw my dad later and he was in the same general area and he was only about half the size of this thing. First I thought it was a bear and then it walked up on, on two legs and, um, you know, watched it all the way across the, the mountainside, this slope and, and a few other experiences that I, and then I moved out to California a couple of years later and, um, deer hunting up here and, uh, the Sierras with my dad had uh, some other experiences that uh you know red eyes and getting the uh, camper slapped yeah get rid of that bob we want to hear that oh okay um yeah we uh we went up to uh right at the edge of the wilderness to we were going to deer hunt that year and we went up about a month early to set up some blinds and so that the deer would get used to them and went to a trailhead uh, where they take horses in and there was nobody there and uh, we hiked in, I spent all day setting up deer blinds and came back and was sitting around the campfire. We had a little campfire, uh, not, no campground or anything. It was just the end of the road. And um, my dad's sitting there and he's sitting on the other side of the fire and he's looking out into the darkness. And he goes, son, come over here. And I said, yeah. He goes, look out there in the dark and tell me what you see. And I looked out there and it was like two big, giant bicycle reflectors, <laughs> red, <laughs> you know, like just glaring back at us. And I go, oh, my God, Dad, that looks like a couple of giant red eyes. He goes, yeah, they've been out there about 20 minutes. Go, really? He goes, yeah, what do you think that is? <laughs> Man, I don't know, but it's big. And uh, I says, up, I don't know, maybe some kind of animal up in the tree because it was so high off the ground. It was really flat where we were there. And he goes, hmm, I thought about that, but son, that's a meadow and there ain't no trees out there. I went, oh, okay. So I had a little tiny you know, double D cell flashlight, you know, shine the light and you couldn't see anything. And But when I did, the eyes would turn to the side. You could see them, you know, turn into little crescents and then disappear. And you couldn't see anything. And then I'd walk away and they would be back. And oh, we watched those over a period of half hour or so. And uh, then there became uh, two sets that were watching us and, and the, the original ones, pretty much the same location. And then uh, another set, a little, little shorter, a little lower to the ground. And then... Right at the end there, uh, there was a, another set that appeared way off to the right side, and it was real low to the ground. So we had three sets of these glowing red eyes just peering at us from the, you know, darkness. And I don't know if it was a reflection off the campfire or what it was. So Dad said, well, you know, let's let's have dinner. I said, okay. So we climbed in the back of his camper. It was a cab over camper. It was sitting in the bed of a pickup truck. And, and uh, we we're sitting there and dad's making some sandwiches. 
and uh, all of you know, just quiet, we're talking, and then bam, on the side of the camper, um, you know, we could tell exactly where it came from, and uh, rocked the entire camper, shook stuff off the counter, and Dad just looked at me and goes, "What? What the heck was that?" <laughs> I don't know, Dad, and maybe a tree limb hit the camper. So we got out, had our pistols and flashlight, and went all the way around the truck. Quiet. Nothing out there. We expected the, the rearview mirror. is an old Ford truck. The rearview mirror, passenger side, the truck got hit so hard, the mirror, I remember it going, just vibrated like that. And uh, we looked, and there was no damage anywhere. We didn't see, like, an unconscious deer laying on the side. Nothing. And so it was a little very strange, and we didn't know what was going on. So we got back in the... This is after you had your sighting earlier, though, right? Yeah, the, this was uh, probably three years later, the 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 sighting. I'm sorry to skip over that. Yeah, if, if, for people that have never heard that, um, I'll give you a quick recap of that if you wanted. But but as we're this night, as we're this I'm talking about right now is just right up about an hour away. I was just wondering if uh, you, if Bigfoot ever came into your consciousness, like I saw one already. Now this is weird stuff's happening. You never put two and two together at the time. No, I'm not real bright. Um, <laughs> <laughs> You're a math major, two plus two. No, I'm, I'm not. I'm, I mean, uh, I'm not. That's why I was a firefighter, you know. Uh, but, but we went into the back of the uh, of the campers as we're getting in there was just this god-awful scream like a woman being murdered and it was right off there's a little drop off and out in front of the truck it was right down there and uh you know probably five six seconds long and of course we jumped and look over there and we didn't see anything and then there was an answering scream back where the red eyes were the same type of a of a scream and it was a very strange night after that. Uh, we didn't really even piece all three of the uh, of those weird events together at the time. Um, it was just three random events. Dad goes, oh, well, that's a panther. I go, Dad, we got red eyes. We got something hit the camper. We got a panther, two of them. Uh, I, it didn't. I, it bothered me. That was one of the things, you know, that bothered me. All night long, I... I could hear something walking around the camper and I'd look out the window and you couldn't see anything. I'd shine the light out and you couldn't see anything. But yeah, that was three years after. And you know, when I f first saw the, the, the one across the mountainside in Idaho, uh, I did a uh, big wasn't really on my radar. Like I say, I grew up in West Texas. We had two TV stations, channels, and, uh, you know, it was like Porter Wagner and Dolly Parton and Hee Haw and the weather, you know, and soap operas. That was my childhood existence to TV. I, th I thought you were going to say we had two channels on and off. That's right. We did. <laughs> and a remote. It was called Bobby. <laughs> um, so it, it really didn't. It re I mean, it really didn't. I thought it was a bear. It was on all fours. It came all the way across this hillside on all fours, um, you know, acted real sneaky-like, and then turned and went completely straight up, really steep slope, you know, the kind of rock that slides under your feet, like a talus slope or something like that, on four, on four feet, and then went to the top and popped up and walked off, looked like Patty. But I hadn't, if I had seen the Patterson-Gimlin film at that time, um, I didn't, I didn't pay any attention to it. It wasn't really anything that I gave any thought to at all, really. So no, it wasn't on my radar. But on that same trip, two days, well, next day it snowed, and we just hunted around camp. But the following day, we um, head out in two trucks before dawn. And it's dark, headed up this two-track road, and about eight or ten inches of snow. 
And just outside the headlights, you could see what looked like a burned up tree stump on the right side of the, of the road. The hill went up behind it and then off to the left side, it went down pretty steep. And as we got closer, the light still hadn't quite hit it yet. You could see it looked like it was getting shorter and wider. The stump was? Yeah, the stump was. And, man, is that a bear? We're all leaning forward. You can only go so fast, you know, four-wheel drive road up this snowy road. And then before, still before the actual headlights, it was reflecting, so had some illumination there, but... Before the headlights actually hit it, it looked like, if you can imagine, an oil slick going across the road. Just like the white would disappear in front of it. It was real low. And then it was, at one point, it was entirely across the four-track road. And um, <laughs> my dad, he had an answer for everything. He goes, oh, yeah, that's a ground sloth right there. <laughs> and I said, oh, wow, well, I've never seen one of those before. Yeah, they've been extinct for a little while, actually. Yeah, yeah no, it's giant. I've heard about them, son. <laughs> giant ground sloth. So, shit, man. So, as we got up to it and could see, it went over the edge, knocked a bunch of snow off of a, a tree. And so, of course, when you when you call a shotgun in a, uh, like, say, a Bronco, Toro or Bronco, that means... You carry the gun, right? I mean, you know, a shotgun, it doesn't, you know, just you, there's some responsibility with sitting in that seat. Yeah, it's Idaho after all, right? Right. For, yeah, for God's sakes, you know, carry a gun. So uh, he goes, we go to the guy, all right, you're riding a shotgun, go see what that was. And then the flashlight goes, I'm not going over there without a gun. Driver pulls out, he had the 45, hands it to him. He goes, it's your chance to be a man. <laughs> <laughs> so he watched me. He looked over the edge. Finally, slid down there. Came back in a real big hurry. Okay, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. He didn't want to talk about. It. He said, "Oh no, I think it was oh it was something. I was trying to hide. I don't know. It was a bear. Uh, you know, thinking I saw some fur, and that's it." Went up to the top of this mountain. We hunted all day. Didn't see anything. Snowed a little bit more. Got back to the Bronco. And there was what my dad called giant bear tracks all the way around the thing. It like circled it a couple of times. And I'm going, Dad, that's got toes. And he goes, yeah, it's bears. They step inside the other one. Okay, again, they don't make bear that big in Texas. So uh, we all piled back in and headed back down the road. Now we stopped. To, to check this spot out to see if we could see anything by that time. You know, we'd driven over it and everybody walked around there and you really couldn't tell anything, much of anything. And uh, the guy then finally had a story. He goes, I, now I know what it was I saw. And what was it? He goes, well, it was a hunter on horseback wearing a fur coat with hood pulled up. With, don't you think that's odd? You know, like bear season that a guy would ride around in a, in a bear skin, you know, <laughs> jacket and coat with a hood up. And he goes, I don't know. I thought it was crazy too. And he said, well, did you see the horse? And he goes, well, no. So how do you know he was on the horseback? And he said, well, he had to be to be that tall. So he saw something and he, you know, this is how he put it all together. Again, you know, these kind of things had happened in my life, and I, I really, you know, before the internet, you just accepted, that. like, oh yeah, okay, well that must have been a horse that was crawling across the road. Yeah, oh of course, no, it was a short-legged horse, the sloth horse. Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. So, yeah, so after these events and after you started making connections and finding a community in the Bigfoot community of people you can share with and talk to and go out in the field with, I mean, life progresses and everything. And, um, and I, know you've, I know you've done a bunch of cool expeditions because I've been on some with you. Um, and eventually that all led up to uh, joining the NAWAC. Is that right? Yeah, that, that's pretty much right. Yeah, I was, you know, in the BFRO with Kathy for a little while and... Um, 
and we did, you know, a few things like the Operation Odyssey, a couple of those. And, yeah, which is where I met you, I think. Right, right. Uh, that was up at... Uh, up by Orville somewhere, wasn't it? Yeah, it was something, some, something cow camp. Yeah, that's what I remember about it too. Something cow camp. Yeah, and um, but yeah, no, that's that's where that's where we met you. And it was that was a cold weekend. Um, I remember snow. Yeah, uh, Yammeron was there with Merrily, and uh, you know uh, uh, there was quite a few people there, and we had a good time, and I learned a lot as well. Of course, I was learning from Kathy. And should tell you more about than more just Bigfoot. Should tell you about the birds and the bees. <laughs> I already knew about those, uh, <laughs> uh, but but uh, it was you know it, it was it was quite you know and, and like I say we Kathy and I did we met there at uh, at the symposium and we started you know our dates were you know <laughs> looking for Bigfoot. Um, that's uh foundation of a good relationship yeah and you know i mean it's like she you know definitely had you know the experience of all of these she had investigated so many reports i mean i recognized her name but i didn't have any idea what she looked like and uh i really <laughs> to the whole symposium i had no idea who she was um, because uh, she will never let me live this down. But uh, I went to. Uh, I wanted to. I wanted to to get there. That she was on Saturday. She presented first thing Saturday morning, and I wanted to get over there. But I was, you know, sort of uh, uh, facilitating Brian Brown, who had flown out, and uh, from Minnesota. So. <laughs> I missed her presentation um, on Saturday morning, and um, I, I mean, I saw her standing up there for photos and stuff, and I'm thinking, uh, I had no clue. I mean, I, you know, we met, Alton introduced us, you know, and I'm all like, who, you know, who, who, who is this? And uh, she says, oh, it's Kathy Moskowitz. I said, but me, the one that does the reports on the BFRO? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Anyway, we um, she took me and oh, a group of people from the symposium to listen uh, call blast where the uh, the Tahoe screen was recorded, and where we met you guys when when Tom and I were on the Finding Bigfoot show is that same location that, that we shot. I don't know if you remember where that was. It was at the end of a a little road there that was. Uh, out past the airport in, in Tahoe there. And, and we had, oh, the thing screamed for two nights straight. I mean, all around the camp. I, I kind of felt like I had the um, a, a, a lot of people, and I don't like this. I mean, I'm a real, I, I try to be a nice guy. And um, I didn't like, I don't really, it makes me uncomfortable to have uh, someone at a disadvantage, you know, either for whatever reason. And I, I, I ne never had to approach the subject of Bigfoot being real uh, by wondering, oh, well, that's cool. If it was real, you know, let me go see if it is real. Mine was like, what the hell is this thing? <laughs> it won't leave me alone. It's, you know, but it's just that I happened to go I think to areas that are prime Bigfoot areas. Um, and I just, you know, pay attention to the surroundings. And when you hunt deer alone and you're just walking out there in the woods for hours on end, really slow and really quiet, you know, you hear things. And I don't know that half of them were by accident, you know, the red eyes coming into the camp. They did that intentionally. I mean, they could have stayed away. Um, so, uh, you know, so it was a natural, natural thing for us to to start doing these, you know, expedition things. And I had fun on them, and I think everybody did, and everybody learned a great deal. And there's nothing cooler than the thought of uh, of seeing a Bigfoot. I mean, there is to me, there's nothing cooler. 
And I came to the realization, you know, years ago that if, if one of these things really had it in their mind to kill you, you would be nothing but a memory. You would just be ancient history. You were gone. Like, where's Bob? Shit, I don't know. He was just here a minute ago, you know? <laughs> no, bye. <laughs> You're just gone. There'd be very few of us left if they were out to get us. You would just be gone. <laughs> and so, yeah, so I'm sorry, getting back to the NAWAC, which is just – there was a group of people that, that we knew from the BFRO, uh, Alton Higgins and uh, Daryl Collier, and um, actually Brian Brown had uh, become a member of the group. It was the TBRC. And they underwent some changes. And uh, But, yeah, they had been doing field work for quite a few years, taking invest, uh, investing reports and doing local investigations on reports and they had some areas of study that they had labeled uh area x y and z and they also uh, put up a lot of camera traps in the big thicket down in southeast texas and so wildlife management area down there and they and they had approval but they Ended up, for some reason, bureaucracy lost their approval to put camera traps down there. And then they had another area, a couple of areas they switched around up uh, in uh, north, not far from Falk, Arkansas, and some bayous up there. And so I don't remember which one those were, but those were Y and Z. So they had air, only had Area X left. And... Um, and so that's where they started concentrating their efforts and they put up camera traps. I mean, lots and lots of them for years and had hiked in there every few weeks while well, dedicated to changing out the SD cards and batteries and all that sort of stuff. And they never really got anything, but bears had chewed up their cameras and they had hair traps out and all kinds of stuff. You know, like we we try to keep the location of Area X, um, you know, don't really make it real public because there's no need for anybody else being up there. You, you really can't get there. It's, it's 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 private property. But if you, you know, I've always admired you know people like you know Matt that could pull out a map. And go, oh no, you'll find Bigfoot here. It's like, how do you do that? Are you a savant? But if you look at, uh, especially Southeast Oklahoma and uh, Washita's, there are literally hundreds of areas that meet their criteria. I listened to you talking to Dr. Caparello the other day, talking about the, you know, the where they had their expeditions in the Siskiyous. Uh, with uh, Greenwell in the remote areas that they would go to, and and Cliff, you mentioned and how you know if you these remote areas uh, are you know the prime habitat, and there's literally lots and lots of of areas like that uh, uh, across the uh, the Washita's. It's uh, they get uh, it's they get secondary to the uh, uh, Pacific Northwest and Olympics, they get the second highest amount of rainfall annually anywhere in the United States. And just because, you know, it's that conglomeration of cold air, warm air coming up, and and that's just where it all meets. And so they get an incredible amount of rain. And it's a fairly temperate climate, except for, you know, like right now, everything's frozen. But, you know, even that is short-lived because they're thawing out now. So you can, you, I'm sorry, you can you can pick out an area that's equivalent to X pretty easily. Yeah, and of course, X had a, a history of sightings as well. Um, and now that you guys have been working it for so many years, um, there's uh, I don't know if you know the number, but quite a few people in your group have had observations of Sasquatches at this point in this one area. And um, I don't know how you feel about it, but do you think that has something to do with either do you think it has more to do with the area or does it have more to do with the uh, continued presence of a few people there for six months at a time? Oh, well, I, you know, both actually, because 
Um, you know, first of all, like everybody's always said, that to have a sighting, you have you have to have somebody there, but there also has to be something there to be seen. So um, it's the the combination of the two. Yeah, we have made a, a prolonged uh, presence there, and yeah, they like say they they started occupying uh, the. NAWAC started uh, doing these long-term operations in uh, 2012. They had kind of come in for a couple of weeks here and there prior to that and had noted levels of activity that they didn't quite expect, especially since they didn't really have anything at all in game camera, some common animals. And then they started talking to some people, locals in the area, and realized, you know, what great potential that it had. And they started doing those long term. Um, and, and, you know, and in the beginning, it was, a, you know, a couple of weeks here and there, then a couple of months. And then all summer, I think, was, was 2012, the first year. And they had a great deal of activity. How many times have you been down there now? I haven't been in the last two years, so since 2012, uh, what's that, nine years, seven? Seven times. Now, this is this will be kind of fun. So you've been there seven times for like, what, a week or something at a time or something like that, probably? And normally a week at a time. The second year I went, I went and stayed for three weeks. And how many visual observations of Sasquatches even if it was on the same trip, you know, have you had in those seven times you've been there? Well, the second day we were there, I saw two of them run up the hill. We'll count that as one. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> one observation. And, okay. Yeah. And then um, a couple of days later, I saw one walking across uh, the hillside uh, behind the cabin and uh, went through a, an opening in the a truck was leaving and it seemed to be like kind of following out, watching it as it, as it left and uh, walked through this opening um, in the trees and the sunlight hit it. And it was like the, like an Irish setter, kind of a cinnamon, you know, kind of a reddish brown. Uh, well, I could only see it from about the waist up, but it was pretty, it was pretty wide. It was massive. It wasn't walking. I didn't see like side on, it was like it was shuffling sideways, like stepping sideways, you know, it's just sort of like, yeah, you know, I don't know, shuffling off to its right and went through still facing it, but it had its head turned. So I really don't know how wide it was, but it was big. Um, it, I would say eight foot probably. To back up just one second, I want it for, for our listeners in particular, because we didn't even touch upon what you just said um you saw the two run up the hill and we didn't we oh, so, oh, okay blah when you started to talk about this next one but I, a listener should realize that that is the same um groups uh, same two individual sasquatches that uh you observed with your wife kathy right so if you want to hear that story you can hear kathy's version of it by listening to a previous podcast a few weeks ago when kathy was our guest yeah oh and she did a great job and thank you you know, for having her on as well. But no, you know, she, she, that, she's probably the best one to talk to about that because she was the closest, but because of course, what do you, what does she do? And I know you, you, you would too, Cliff is what do you do when you see one? Well, of course you run full blast straight at it is what you Of do. course you do. How <laughs> <laughs> are you going to catch it otherwise? Yeah. Yeah. I know. I know. Um, just show it to you and you're friendly. Yeah, just jump into its arm and grab onto its front side like you're the baby ape, and then perhaps they'll take you as a, as one of their own. Exactly. <laughs> grab the open leg. Um, but uh, yeah, the, the, we did see the we did see those two. Yeah, there was another one after that. You said. Well, uh, the reddish brown one that I saw, and then uh, a couple of years later, and this is this is the strangest thing. I saw uh, there was a, a, a fresh tree break, and it came down, and it was a big tree, too, and it broke about two feet up, off the ground, and it had to be at least 10-inch diameter, maybe bigger of a, of a tree, a, a softwood like a pine-type tree. And uh, we went and checked it out, and I came back, and you know that fresh broken wood is kind of orangish, reddish color? 
And uh, as we're walking away, and I turned around, and I see, again, this stump changed in size. Something, what is going on? And so I get out my, uh, we wear like little little binoculars and uh, little Nikons, and I pull them up. And dang, if there's not what looks like an orangutan head sticking up right in that tree break and peeking over the top at me. And I went, what? And I look, and it ducks down. And then I pull my glasses back up, and you can see it real slow, like Harry and the Hendersons peeking over the top of the car or something, looking at me. I'm like, that is a head. And it was just looking right at me. And then, you know, I said something to somebody and turned around, and it was gone, and we went back, and it wasn't there. But I I know what I saw, man. (laughs) I've heard that before. Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. I want you to share with our listeners a log story. That's an amazing thing. So yeah, set the set the tone for us and the context and share that story with our listeners. They're going to love it. Yeah, so we were invited to go there, as Kathy said, by the NAWAC because we well, we were friends with like Alton and Daryl and and they had all this activity going on and they invited us out and they go, you know, why don't you guys come out here and, you know, check this out? And, well, okay, sure. And, um, you know, we were happy to. We were like ecstatic. This is like great, you know, great opportunity. We're going to have fun. And um, so we got in there on a Sunday and the the next day we – all had there were four cabins there. This is all off the grid, no running power or water or anything like that. These things have been there a long time, and I use the term cabin loosely. Okay, <laughs> this is loosely. You're not going to find this on Home and Garden TV. Uh, probably in the Crime Scene magazine, maybe. But um, we had had you know just some activity. Uh, noises and bangs and stuff like that on Monday, our, our first full day there. And then uh, later on in the afternoon, probably 4 o'clock or something like that, we started hearing these rock throws, what sounds like a rock on a roof, a tin roof of a cabin. Bam! And we would, uh, well, I'll go over there and look around, nothing. And then like uh, 10 minutes later, bam, on the far end and go down to that cabin, look all around, nothing. And come back and just had us kind of running around after about the second trip down there. Kathy says, oh, that's for the birds, man. They're just messing with us. So she goes, I'm staying here. Because it was right in the middle. And um, as we hear another one, we go down there. And somebody says he sees a gray one walking across the hillside up there. And I believe him because he, he uh, you know, is a, a lifelong outdoorsman um, and um, tracker and uh, overall, all around good guy. And he saw a big white one, gray one, he said. And so I went down there to check it out. I didn't see anything. And as we were coming back, uh, Kathy is standing there watching uh, she's standing beside a shed, and she's looking down our way. And then there's, bam, another impact. And they went over there, and she told me, she goes, just hang out here with me. And I said, do you see something? She goes, well, I'm looking at that clump of trees over there. And it's like right before you guys came back, I looked at it, and it's like this branch snapped up. I said, maybe it's just blowing in the wind. She goes, no, it's like somebody had pulled it down, like like you're walking through it or something. Or it was, you know, you're looking through it, and it just snapped back up in place. She goes, go over there. I'll stay right here and tell you where it was. And so I went back over there. It's about 75 feet from where she was. So I went over there, and it was like this clump of... It was like a little drainage ditch at the bottom of this real steep incline, which is the hill that the the two that we saw run up was essentially the same hill. It was right up in that same general area. 
and the, we saw it later. And I went over there, and I'm looking around, and there's this big, fallen, old, big, you know, two-foot diameter tree, and just a, a trunk laying way out in the trail. And I had to walk around it to get over there to that side where the, the bushes were. And so I'm standing right up next to this big log, and I'm pushing the, the leaves away, the branches away, so I can see inside this little, it's like a little opening, and kind of an open area, and behind the brush and behind the tree limbs. And now I can see through back to the other side, and I can see the hillside. And it's, I mean, a little obscure, but, you know, I'm looking for Patty, you know, and I didn't see Patty over there. And, you know, look down to the right, there's like a little trail. And I'm thinking, ah, oh, I should go back over there and check that out. And I look down and shadows are starting to get thick. And this little, like I say, this tree was over this, like this little bitty kind of a ditch, uh, little drainage ditch thing. And... I, I'm kind of looking through and I'm, you know, real apprehensive that something, man, I'm looking up in the trees and the whole bit. And I'm thinking I could just walk on this log, this big one, and get over to the other side really easy. And I kind of look down, is there anything else? What's it like down there? And I see these, these two other, what I thought were logs, laying down in the ditch right up next to this big one. And I'm thinking, okay, I can. You know, I can put my one foot here, and it's like Davy Crockett used to do it. I can do it, you know, just like one step here, one step on that log, one step on that log. Get over there, and I'm thinking, yeah, my second day here, I'm just dumb enough to slip off and fall down, break my ankle. All I do is walk around the big tree, and I get to the same area easy enough. And I said, ah, you know, it looks kind of dangerous. So... I went back and I told Kathy, I said, I, I don't see anything in there. You know, there's said there's a couple logs laying in the ditch down there, but, it, uh, you know, there's a trail, too. And I think if something was over there, it could have gotten straight, you know, up that trail and you would never see it. And she's like, hmm, that just don't sound right. So uh, we went and, you know, ran around a little bit more. And so we're taking a breather. And uh, one of the guys is kind of filming little interviews of like, you know, what and so what happened to you today? And, you know, we're trying to piece all this rock throwing together and everything. And um, so Kathy is looking down that direction. And from where the where I thought were the two logs, it, there was she initially sees the one come out. And the smaller one was back behind it. It was still in the trees. And, you know, she goes, oh, my God. And she gets up and she runs right at this thing. And it was, I think it was, if it kept on its course, another 50, less than 50 feet, and it was going to be behind that shed that she was standing next to, which is even closer to where we were. Still daylight enough to see him, but not great, you know, not great, not direct bright sun. But she runs, and I see the big one that's out there in the open, kind of like shocked, looks at her, looks back behind it, looks back at her, looks back behind it, and goes and runs back. And the little one, which was in the trees, ran at her, and they slammed right into each other. Just like, like, like a guy on the phone walking into a telephone pole. He's went, bam! And, uh... They kind of look, you know, kind of fumbled for a second, and boom, the big one went straight up that hill and uh, on two legs, and the uh, the smaller one um, was a little bit behind it, and there was like a, a like about a four or five inch diameter fallen tree that was like 40 feet long hanging down the slope. That thing went up and went down on all fours, and ran up that tree trunk like it was like a monkey or something. It was it was fast. It was like the biggest spider I ever saw in my life. I mean, it was scary. It was so fast. Silent. Of course, we checked everything out and, you know, saw some eye shine and stuff that night. Now, the next morning, I get up early and Brian and Ken, and I'm out there looking around. And 
Every morning, the first one out, out the door, bam, big, huge power knock, uh, just like clockwork. I, Ken has got, you know, he's got, he, he was like the scribe. He was like taking notes that week. And he goes, okay, so tell me about this incident a little bit more. And we had done filmed interviews after we saw the things went up the hill. So he had all that. But he, he goes, now show me, show me what you did over here. Because we had walked past that area four or five times going to that other and we even stopped and looked up the hill, but above where this area was, he goes, because, you know, show me what was going on. And I said, well, you know, she said she saw this limb you know, flip up. And so I walked around behind this fallen tree and I opened the brush and thinking about walking across there. But I can see there and I looked down and I'm going to step on one of those logs and look down and <laughs> there's those logs I was going to step on are gone. They're not like, they're not there. And I'm like, I turned around and said, how many, how many logs did I tell you were down that ditch? And you go, well, you know, two or three. You just said there's over there two or three logs in that ditch. And I go, D -d -d do me a favor, look in there. What do you see? And he goes, well, I just see this big tree. There's still logs down that ditch. And I went, Okay, here's what I saw. One was right up next to the tree trunk, and one was in line with the ditch, kind of like a, a T or a, a angle, 90-degree bracket. And the bigger one up next to the log was like on top of the end of the smaller one. And I said, I tell you, there were two logs down there because I thought about putting my foot on one of them. And he goes, well, there's no logs there now. So we didn't, yeah, we we uh, went and sat back down and just sat there in the camp chairs, the three of us, and just, like, we couldn't talk. And Ken goes, you saw logs? I go, yes, yes, yes. I can even point out to where, how long they were. And so Kathy gets up a little while later and she walks outside and it's like, we're sitting there like we're waiting on a funeral to start, you know, and she's going, what's going on? And, and Ken goes, or Brian goes, how, so what did Bob say when he went down there and said that, you know, he was going to walk across that ditch and what do you see down there? She goes, oh, he just said there's two or three logs down there. So, well, there's no logs there now. Now, and she said, what? Well, what'd you do with them? I said, we didn't do anything with them. <laughs> they ran up the hill. <laughs> Any Bigfooter has, a, most Bigfooters have been in the game long enough, have certain things they regret. Like, oh, if I would have done that, I could have seen one, or I wish I had my recorder running. You're the only person I know that, like, you probably have the regret, oh, I could have walked across to one. <laughs> yeah, no, this was my chance to walk on one. <laughs> <laughs> the dream of every big thing. I know. I know. I know. I could, I could have done that. Oh, I don't I don't know. I don't know what would have happened. Yeah. Yeah. I, no, no, nobody does know because you would have been the only person, I think, probably ever to step on a Sasquatch, I think. You were in view of those guys when, you, when, when that would have happened or no one would have seen it? Kathy was watching me, you know. As long as you got a witness, you know, whatever you do, something dumb or get hurt or something. Oh, oh no, they would no, I, and and um, yeah, I I'm pretty sure that and and if you want to dissect this, so if there's if there's these two things and there's one throwing rocks down here and there's one throwing rocks down here and there's probably one somewhere in the middle and this old gray thing is up there. How many of those things were in the area? You know, so so what happens? I step on Junior, you know, and he starts screaming, Bobby. It's like, Bobby is screwed. He had it coming. I had it coming. I did. I didn't mean it. Only only me could, could that happen. But see, I, I, I didn't shine a flashlight down there. You know, I was otherwise occupied. I could see reasonably well. Um, you know, it's what my mind, either what my mind told me it was, or, well, I'll tell you this, they were remaining absolutely perfectly still and silent. 
they might have let me step on them. Now, do you have any plans uh, to do any further research in your own area? I mean, because I know Area X is your group's area, but you live in the you live in California in the foothills of the Sierra Nevada mountains. Um, do you have any thoughts about doing some some of the techniques that you've taken from the Oklahoma site and applying it to the local area? Well, you know that's a good question, and yeah, we have. Um, the last few years, we've kind of put things on hold a little bit because we had that big 256,000 acre Stanislaus National Forest, the fire, um, the rim fire, and it devastated a, you know, a great deal of our our uh, research area. And, um, and and then there was another couple of fires up there, so it's it's been a big. You know, to go up there, you have to go uh, in the summertime, and uh, with Kathy working for the Forest Service, and there's fires. She's usually out on a fire, and I, uh, you know, for weeks at a time out of town, and it's just has been difficult the last few years with all the forest fires we've had out here to get out as much as we want. But we we do want to go out um, this this summer. We probably we probably will. Again, unfortunately, the thing about going on public lands is they're public lands. You know, you go out there in the summertime out in the Sierras. Cliff, you remember that place that we had the uh, expedition in 2005. Um, and you go up there any, almost any time in the summertime, and there's somebody camped there. And there are people there, and they drive their honda cars down there you know down roads that should not have a two-wheel drive vehicle on it they do it and um there's just so many people the the forest gets two and a half million visitors per year and uh they'll do it they're i I won't say they're dumb but they're not bright and um so they leave campfires burning and it's it's kind of a pain to find somebody, uh, some place that um, last time we call blasted, <laughs> we got shot at. So, <laughs> so it's it makes it a little tough to go out to where you think you know oh, there's nobody down there, you don't see anything down in this canyon, and you know you call blast the Ohio how or something, and you get gunshots coming back up the hill at you and you're thinking this this is not safe whose idea was this <laughs> ours wait a minute yeah ours yeah um but but yeah we we do plan on on doing some i know the bfro runs expeditions up here and you know there's a historically there's a lot of you know a lot of activity up here you know going going way back deputy um saw one, I don't know, back in the 60s or something, um, you know, one across the road, a big white one, um, you know, and lots of reports. The second most, um, I think, number of reports in California, BFR reps, website next to, uh, was it Del Norte? Um, anyway, yeah, so, you know, so it's a good area. And I'm, Cliff, I know you've been up here you know, several times. And so, you know what the area is like. It's, it's so vast and spread out though. These things can go, you know, just about anywhere. So I, if, you know, putting up a game camera for us is like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know that it would be there, but we do enjoy going out and, you know, using our thermal and, and looking around and stuff. Um, and trying to track the activity. And Kathy gets a lot of reports. So it's tough, but it's a lot of fun. You know, we want to come up and see your museum. Oh, yeah. If you're always welcome to, let, let me know. If you guys come up, we'll do a special event, you know, and uh, <laughs> hot dogs and donuts. <laughs> More like a speaking event, you know, have you guys oh, talk about your. Oh, oh, oh. Right. Don't get me wrong. Hot dogs and donuts, sure. If that's, what you, if that's the payment you require, I'm happy to deliver that's all i charge for anything (laughs) 
Well, Bob, you've given us a lot to think about. You've shared some of your amazing encounters. I mean, step almost stepping on a Bigfoot. That's, that's a first and only as far as I'm concerned. You gave us updates on what the NAWAC is up to. Um, thank you so much for sharing all your information and knowledge and history with us. We really, really appreciate it. And frankly, it's just good to connect with you again. Uh, you're a good, good friend. We've been out in the field a long, long, uh, many, many times, known you for a long time. This is really cool to talk to you again. So thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you, Bob. We appreciate it, man. Love you, brother. Uh, love you guys, too. Thanks for having me on. And it is certainly my honor and privilege to be with you. So talk to you guys later. Okay, thank you. Bye. Bye. So, Bobo, that was great. Just as I suspected, it was going to be a great episode with Bob. He never disappoints. No, and I think about all the times we've been out in the field with that guy, you know, just, just how much fun he is. I mean, you can, I think even our listeners will pick up on that and how much we laugh and tell jokes and heckle each other lightly. And um, it's kind of like what it's like out in the field with us, just just like the old days up at the head, you know, the, the way back country of Bluff Creek and all that stuff. Yeah, folks. So if you want to check out more of Bob's group, the North American Wood Ape Conservancy, go to woodape.org. It's a great website. I highly recommend it. And I think we even got a couple more guys from that uh, group coming up in the future. So I look forward to that. So until next week, keep it squatchy. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Bigfoot and Beyond. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes. Subscribe to Bigfoot and Beyond wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Bigfoot and Beyond Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Bigfoot and Beyond, that's an N in the middle, and tweet us your thoughts and questions with the hashtag Bigfoot and Beyond. 